This episode was recorded during the dual WGA and SAG After Strike. As fans and content creators, we stand in solidarity with the creatives currently on strike. There is power in a union. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are once again back in the TARDIS celebrating the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, and we've reached the 8th Doctor, Paul McGann. Oh, how, which one of the many on-screen adventures of Paul McGann are we going to be talking about in this episode? Oh, wow, there are so many. We, yes, we, the movie. we really debated this. It was a long, drawn-out discussion. So many good episodes in the catalog for Paul McGann. So, yes, we are doing the... 1996 Doctor Who television movie. So to properly get where we're at, we do need to go where we're coming from. So when we last talked about Doctor Who, we talked about the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, and the finale, the cancellation of the original series back in 1989. So 1989, 26 seasons on TV, the BBC cancels Doctor Who. We are now in what fans have dubbed the wilderness years, where there is no Doctor Who on TV, but there's still Doctor Who stuff. There are still the comics, and there are still the the novels. They're very popular New Adventures novels from Virgin Books. So even though Doctor Who was no longer a television series... Fans still wanted it, and but there were plans to bring Doctor Who back pretty much as soon as it got canceled. An attempt to bring Doctor Who to the big screen. Now, now Doctor Who, no stranger to being a, a feature film. We did get two films in the early 60s with Peter Cushing. Doctor Who and the Daleks in 65 and Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD in 66. Now, granted, these were just uh, retellings of serials from the TV show, and the Peter Cushing Doctor wasn't even an alien. He was just a dude named Doctor Who. But, you know, wasn't too bad to have, you know, the popularity of Doctor Who at the time, especially during Dalek Mania, could not be denied. Had to be something. But as for bringing Doctor Who back from after that, we go back to 1987, just before the show gets canceled. Uh, producers Peter Litton and George Dugdale was able to get the rights to make a Doctor Who feature film. Doctor Who, Last of the Time Lords. And this movie went through so many years of developmental hell. So many people that were confirmed to be in the movie. So many directors that were confirmed to be in the movie. It just didn't happen. Uh, names like Dudley Moore and John Cleese. <laughs> Can you imagine a 1988-89-90 movie with Dudley Moore and John or, or John Cleese as the Doctor? 
I, I really don't want to think about that, honestly. There was even uh, rumors of Richard Lester, who at that point was probably well known for directing Superman 2, being the director of the film. Uh, but yeah, the years of delays, the movie never happened. And we'll never know what that movie would have been. We now get to 1990. An attempt to bring Doctor Who back to television as a cartoon. Nelvana Animation Studio, famous for shows like Inspector Gadget and Care Bears and Star Wars Ewoks and Droids. And at, the, at that time, I believe they were doing the Beetlejuice cartoon, had gotten the rights to do Doctor Who at the Saturday morning cartoon series. Scripts were written. There was rumors of Sean Connery being the doctor in that show. I don't know how you would get Sean Connery to do a Saturday morning cartoon, but that was the rumor. But right before they went into full production, BBC pulls the license uh, as apparently a British animation studio had convinced the BBC to let them do it because Doctor Who needs to stay British and they were offering to do the show cheaper. The cartoon never happened. But uh, artwork from the Nelvana version of the cartoon is out there if you want to see what this animated Doctor Who would have looked like. Uh, Kiki, I shared some of those pictures with you. What did you think of Doctor Who, the animated series? Uh, I wasn't super duper impressed. I'm curious, though. You know, what would Doctor Who be as a Saturday morning cartoon aimed to sell toys? A more toyetic Doctor Who, not just sonic screwdrivers and Daleks, but like a toyetic K-9 or Cybermen or something. Well, honestly, I mean, as we're recording this, they just released that really kind of hilarious uh, promo for the new Doctor's screwdriver. Ah, uh, yeah. Where it looks like the most amazing luxury car commercial or whatever some money from apple works at bbc now i'm sure of it i mean that was it was like you expect a voiceover where it's like you know the new jaguar you know it's like the new sonic 14 <laughs> yeah it's like oh man oh but now we reach 1993. It's the 30th anniversary of Doctor Who and talks of a direct-to-video movie celebrating 30 years of Doctor Who was up. We have mentioned this on the show before. Doctor Who in the Dark Dimension with Tom Baker set to return as the fourth Doctor. Uh, Pertwee Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy were going to be part of the movie itself, but basically cameos as they were going to focus mostly on Tom Baker because he was the most famous doctor. I have made the joke before of having a returning actor as a doctor in an anniversary special be the focus. Ha ha. We just talked about the 14th Dr. Screwdriver. Yeah. But the, that, that movie never happened because it just, they didn't have the budget to make it. What we did get for the 30th anniversary, however, was a crossover with the soap opera EastEnders for charity called Dimensions in Time. Less said about that, the better. After all that, we get to this. Interproducer Philip Siegel, British-born 
grew up watching Doctor Who, had gotten himself a job with Columbia, uh, Columbia Pictures in the United States. He wanted to bring Doctor Who back as a big-budget American television series. Now, Doctor Who had aired in America, but on PBS. He wanted to bring Doctor Who to the major networks. And he had tried, uh, basically since the show's cancellation, to try to get the rights to Doctor Who, but all those other projects that I talked about were already in development. Plus, the, the, the people that canceled the show originally were still in power. They didn't like Doctor Who at all, so they really weren't interested in doing another live-action Doctor Who series. So Siegel would have to wait until 1993. New head of BBC, Alan Yentib, also a Doctor Who fan, saw the potential in Doctor Who coming back. And at this point, uh, Siegel had moved from working at Columbia, Columbia Pictures to Amblin Entertainment, that's Steven Spielberg's production company. And, you know, what better way to get people talking about Doctor Who than saying that the most famous director in the world is working on this show? If I were to tell you that we could have had, in 1993, Steven Spielberg's Doctor Who, how would you react to that? Well, in... In 93, I wasn't as into Doctor Who, but I was very into Spielberg. So I, mean, I, w- I would have been like, yay, Spielberg's doing a thing. But in hindsight, I mean, by now, you know my feelings about please let's keep Americans as far away from Doctor Who as possible. Mm-hmm. Um. So now I would I would be like, oh, can can we not? In the hindsight of this movie. Well, I mean, not just in the hindsight of this movie, but just knowing more about Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And and respecting Doctor Who for for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would have been like, you know, let's let's maybe not do that. Yeah, but uh, let's get back to where we're at here. So Siegel's working at Amblin. Uh, due to the relationship with Spielberg, Universal Pictures is also involved with, with this with this uh, production. And as so, Universal wants one of their staff writers to write the script for the pilot of Doctor Who, while Siegel is insistent on having a British writer because, you know, a British writer would at least be vaguely familiar with Doctor Who. And could do the show properly. But Universal put their foot down and threw in one of their writers, John Leakley. John Leakley's version of Doctor Who is a complete reboot. Throwing out the canon, throwing out everything, and it is a hodgepodge of iconography and past stories all mashed together into this blob. The pilot, now I'm going to tell you the pilot of this. And Kiki, I want you to respond to this, as you just said, keeping Americans away from Doctor Who. The pilot would have featured Barusa, Lord President of Gallifrey, on his deathbed. His grandson, the Master, is set to replace him, bringing an age of darkness to the world, along with his 
Army, the Daleks, enter the Doctor, who has found the scrolls of Rassilon, in hopes of stopping this. On his deathbed, Barusa tells the Doctor that his son, the Master's father, the great explorer Ulysses, had fathered a second child with a human woman while exploring the planet Earth, and that the Doctor was this child making the Doctor half-human and the rightful heir to Gallifrey. With the spirit of Barusa inhabiting his stolen TARDIS, the Doctor goes on a quest through time and space to find his missing father. Kiki? I, I, um, I hate everything about that. Leakley wrote a series Bible that is basically taking established storylines from Doctor Who and rewriting them. Genesis of the Daleks, the Yeti, uh, the Cybermen, all reinterpreted in this American eye. The Cybermen would have been a group of cyborg space pirates called Cybes. We would have had an episode where the where the Master went to Scarrow, killed Davros, and took control of the Daleks as his own army. And oh yeah, this is where the Spider Daleks come from. If you've ever seen that 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 two second video of a Dalek unfolding into a spider like monster, yeah, that's John Leakley's idea. Was this guy best friends with the dude that wanted the like Spider Man uh, a spider Sp- fighting Superman? Yeah. <laughs> Which has now happened. Yeah. Oh, my my brain hurts and we live in the dumbest timeline. Well, a lot of people agree with you. Nobody liked this treatment. Siegel didn't like this treatment. The UC didn't like this treatment. Spielberg didn't like this treatment. All thrown out. Eventually, after several rewrites with several different writers, Siegel leaves Amblin and he's able to and Spielberg allows Siegel to take the Doctor Who writes with him. Uh, staying with Universal, Siegel starts shopping the show around to the major American networks, see who's interested in uh, airing this show. And the only network that says yes is the Fox network. However, Fox only commits to a single TV movie rather than a full series. But the idea is, if there's, an, if there's some good ratings for this movie, we might do a second movie or we might do a series. It's depending on how this movie goes. Now, with a commitment from a network and a commitment from the production company at Universal, uh, Fox brings in writer Matthew Jacobs, a British writer, to completely rewrite this movie. Rather than a reboot, it is a continuation of the original series simplifying the story to focus more on the relationship between the Doctor and the Master, even bringing in Seventh Doctor Sylvester McCoy for the regeneration. This is the movie we're about to talk about. As for who's going to play the Doctor, there's uh, there were a lot of auditions and a lot of names being thrown out. Uh, Michael Crawford was one of the names that Siegel wanted for the Doctor. He had done several films for British television, but he was best known at this point for being the original Phantom in Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera. Hey, American audiences know who he is. We can make this work. But Crawford was like, I'm done. I, I, I just got done doing a role that was physically exhausting. I do not want to do another role that's physically exhausting. Many people tried to audition for the role of the new Doctor. 
including people that would end up becoming part of this, including Peter Capaldi, Christopher Eccleston, uh, John Hurt was talked about. Again, three people who would go on to become doctors. But eventually they settled on Paul McGann as his audition blew everybody away. However, Fox was very hesitant on this because Fox putting a lot of money. Fox was putting a lot of money into this movie. This was the most expensive television movie that Fox had ever produced, and they wanted something guaranteed. So they were throwing out big name stars, John Hurt, Rowan Atkinson, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Bronson, Tim Curry, um, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, uh, big name stars that they could try to get big name ratings. Even the people who didn't know who Doctor Who was, oh, I know who that celebrity is. I will watch this movie for this celebrity. Based on that alone, do you think Paul McGann was the right choice to be casted, or would you have gone with a more famous name? Honestly, I think Paul McGann was a good choice for the doctor. And I think he he kind of got shafted mm-hmm. by the material, as as we'll talk about as we go on. However, I think a lot of the people that were up for it could have made good doctors and eventually they were either doctors or had parts in the series i mean like, anthony head anthony head was another one that got a, that audition so he also got another role in doctor who and timothy dalton would eventually pay, play rassilon rowan atkinson played the parody ninth doctor in, in the curse of fatal death yeah and um there's some other actors who weren't in uh doctor who but who are just outstanding actors like um liam cunningham who is probably best known to geeks for being um davos seaworth in game of thrones um was one of the people who auditioned um a lot of uh british um comedians if you watch a lot of british panel shows um a lot of british comedians that you'll see on panel shows uh were up for the role as well um and a lot of them i'm i'm not sure if they would have made great doctors but i think they would have been uh interesting in parts in doctor who and uh they have not been in Doctor Who since. I just go through this list. I'm thinking we could have had Tim Curry as a doctor. But considering the timeline, this is 90, 95, 96. I'm pretty sure he was doing Muppet Treasure Island at the time he would have filmed this movie. Well, the thing is, is that they kept trying to get Tim Curry even earlier than that. Mm. Um, if memory serves, they were trying to get him during the original run of the series to 
be in in the series. Um, in in the same way that we keep talking about how they kept trying to get David Bowie. It's one of those things of there were a lot of people that they tried to get into the original series and it just never worked out. Hmm. So yeah, McGann but, but McGann himself was no stranger to making American movies. He had done Kingdom Kingdom of the Sun with Steven Spielberg. And he did Alien 3 with David Lynch. Unfortunately, his his role was kind of cut in both. Which, if it hadn't been, would Fox have reconsidered saying, oh, yeah, we know this guy. We could, you know, he, we're not going to push against him. I don't know. It's interesting because there are a lot of doctors who I kind of didn't know before they became the doctor. Hmm. Um, and so I don't really hold it against McGann that I didn't know him before he became the doctor, because honestly, I didn't really, I mean, yes, I had seen Eccleston before, like, you know, I had seen 28 Days Later, and he was in that, but it's not like he stuck out in my head Mm. until he became the doctor. I am not sure I had seen David Tennant in anything until he became the Doctor. His five seconds in Harry Potter? I did not watch Harry Potter until after I watched Doctor Who. Ah. Um, I only watched Doctor... Uh, I only watched Harry Potter because of Doctor Who, actually. Mm. Um, And so... Yeah, so I, I don't think I knew David Tennant uh, before that... Um. I'm not sure if I knew Peter Capaldi prior to him getting cast. Um, I had seen Jodie Whittaker because she was in um, Broadchurch with David Tennant. And I had I had watched that because of David Tennant. Um, so I was vaguely familiar with her. Um, Matt Smith, I had no idea who he was. I mean, most most of the the modern doctors, I honestly had no idea. Um, I mean, you, I, you could you could probably add Shudi Godwa to that one. I have I haven't seen Shudi Godwa in anything. I haven't seen Barbie yet, so. <laughs> That'll probably be the first thing I see him in. Um, So I'm used to just whoever shows up playing the doctor, that's my introduction to them. Mm. So I have I have nothing against Paul McGann being like an unknown, quote unquote, um, thing with the doctor. Because I don't need my doctor to be a, you know, somebody famous. I don't need to know who the doctor is. I just need them to be like, hey, this is the doctor. And then when they show up on screen, I just need them to be good. Mm. But I get where Fox is coming from. They're putting a lot of money in this. And it's a lot of money to put on the weight of an unknown actor. Oh, yeah. And also... At the time, 
Doctor Who was not a thing that was known in America very well. I mean, it was very niche, even in geek circles. Mm. Because, I mean, you know, by that point, I was. I was spending more time in like comic book stores and, you know, tape swapping and starting to get into convention circuits and stuff like that myself. And I had not even gotten into Doctor Who by the time this thing aired. So that's saying a lot because I'm usually into everything. And at this point, it's not like we're short of sci-fi. We have Deep Space Nine already going strong for a few years. And Fox themselves had sliders at the time, which similar concept, If you even if you're going with a vague explanation of what Doctor Who is. And someone who never heard of Doctor Who in 1995, you'd explain it to them. Oh, it's like that show Sliders. Yeah, and I was very into Sliders. Mm-hmm. So a compromise. When it comes to this movie, a compromise was made. Siegel really wanted to go with McGann and made a compromise with Fox that he would cast a big name actor to play the master if he got to keep McGann as a doctor, which Fox agreed to. So there were a lot of suggestions of who was going to play the master. David Bowie, Tim Curry, Mick Jagger, Sting, the singer, not the wrestler. Then Man, get, that would have been awesome if Sting the wrestler had been the master. This is like 95, 96. He's already in the crow makeup. We can make that happen with the baseball bat. Oh, yeah. Then comes the weird ones, the non-British ones. Christopher Lloyd, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Steve Buscemi, Jonathan Frakes. He already has the beard. He can make it at work. Yeah. Steve Buscemi is the master? No. No. Chevy Chase is the master? No. Christopher Lloyd, though. I can make an argument for Christopher Lloyd. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have wanted that either. So, like you mentioned, though, Doc, BBC has tried to get David Bowie for a while. Imagine we could have had David Bowie as the master. I mean, that that would have been pretty awesome. David Bowie and Tim Curry as the doctor and the master. Take me to that universe, please. Or the other way around. Yeah. Or Tim Curry as the doctor and the master. Dual roles. He can, he can do it. <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, Universal was the one to make the choice, and they went with Eric Roberts. Of all the people <laughs> that you could have picked for a big-name American star to sell this movie on, you go with Eric Roberts. Was he the cheapest? That's the only thing I can think of. I'm going to go ahead and say this so that we can get it out of the way. I have not seen anything more offensive in Doctor Who than Eric Roberts as the master. 
It's not that he's a bad actor. I'm not going to say he is. He just wasn't right for the master. Everything about Eric Roberts as the master and the way the master is portrayed and written and done in this thing is perhaps just the worst of all possible universes. He would get a bit of a reprieve a few years back during the pandemic. They, you know, Big Finish Productions would get in touch with Eric Roberts and do a series based on his master. And it was better because he wasn't, you know, I guess because he didn't have to wear ugly contact lenses that butter or had just had better writing. But, you know. It's an it's if you have not checked out the Eric Roberts master series, I do recommend them. They're a lot better than he is portrayed in this movie. However. There is a history of Eric Roberts in this movie. He kind of acted like a bit of a diva on set for this movie. Uh, The outfit that Eric Roberts was supposed to wear in this movie was supposed to be a variation of the original Roger Delgado master outfit. However, Roberts found the outfit too constricting, so they changed the outfit to the one with with the leather jacket and the open shirt thing that we see in the movie. He found the contacts to be uncomfortable, irritating to his eyes. This is why he mostly wears the sunglasses. And there was supposed to be a a plot in the movie where the body, the the, the Eric Roberts body that that the Mastering has possessed was starting to decay. So he would wear a lot of prosthetics on him to simulate decaying flesh. And he found that uncomfortable, so he had to throw that out. We get one instance of him peeling skin off his of his finger, and that's it. So a lot of the ideas they had for this master had to get thrown away because Eric Roberts kind of became a diva about the way he was being on this movie. I mean, like, you know, let's just kind of go ahead, get into it. Mm -hmm. Like, why is the master the freaking Terminator? Yeah, I mean, like I said, that that's that was apparently a Eric Roberts decision. He didn't want to wear the costume they gave him. He didn't want to wear the contacts. It's not just the it's not just the like that he shows up in like the cop suit with the sunglasses and stuff but like he shows up and he puts his hands on the glass and like does the I'll be back bit and like what the hell is that I don't know did anybody involved in this watch a single episode of Doctor Who ever Supposedly, Siegel was a fan. He had talked about watching Doctor Who when he lived in England with his grandfather. Okay, but, like, is he a fan in the same way Chibnall is a fan? I don't know. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, we're we're getting to you, Chibnall. We're, we're coming for you. But, like, seriously, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. So when I was doing the rewatch, I had kind of forgotten about that because every time... I'm forced to watch this thing. I like try to block it from my memory 
Like, I step into a chameleon arch and put all of my memories of this into a pocket watch. <laughs> but, like, holy crap, I had forgotten about the freaking Terminator thing. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most painful bullshit I have seen. What in the hell? I, I Who allowed this? What What is their name? Where can I find them? I want them to step on Lego every day for the rest of their life. I get what they were trying to do. It just didn't come out good. I mean, Terminator 2 had just come out a few years prior, so maybe they're trying to ride that wave. And also, the doctor just, like, morphs through a window? Well, like, they, friggin' they... T-1000 style? They explain it that because the Eye of Harmony has been opened, that the stability of the planet is out of whack, which is how he's able to walk through the window. Yeah, whatever. That's more Terminator shit. Come on. Come on. You know it. (sighs) Don't front with me, Tuesday. You know it. Yeah, yeah. I will give this movie credit for one thing, though. Because mm-hmm. let's just go ahead and talk about the regeneration. Mm-hmm. I want to get into this. Enough All backstory. Right. Backstory is boring. Okay, so we bring back Sylvester McCoy, and mm-hmm. I feel so sorry for him. Like every doctor should give regeneration. I do feel sorry for Sylvester McCoy that this was his. Mm-hmm. Man deserved better. But, like. You know, he's chilling out in the TARDIS. And can we say, because you brought this up to me off off mic, the only good thing about this movie is that the interior of the TARDIS is maybe the most badass TARDIS we have ever seen. I love this TARDIS interior because it's the first time the TARDIS ever feels like this is the doctor's home. And it also feels like it's bigger on the inside. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, truly bigger on the inside. And that has to do with the with the uh, Canadian designers, because this is a, this was filmed in, in Canada. And per Canadian film regulations, you need a certain number of Canadians working on the film. So the production designers, the set designers, customers, they're all Canadians and they just they hit this out of the park. There's a lot of stuff in here that would inspire future TARDISes including the giant time cylinder in the middle of the like the one the 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 time rotor that extends all the way to the roof which is still in TARDISes to this day. And also we keep we we hear the cloister bell but this is I think the first time we ever see the cloister. Yeah, the cloister room. Which bravo and also, we just see, like, the doctor chilling out, having some tea, reading a eating, book. Eating jelly time babies. Time machine. Eating jelly babies. Because, of course, it's jelly babies. Which are so awful. Oh, my God. Um, But, you know, it's it's great. I, I love it. Yeah, I, that's the only thing that if, I'm sad that this never became a series because I want more of that TARDIS. And because this wasn't, uh, you know, 
because of the weird ownership between the BBC, Fox, and Universal, like we're never going to see this TARDIS on screen ever again because of the weird ownership. The Twelfth Doctor's TARDIS with the bookshelves kind of come from here, and I and I do like that they call back to that. Yeah, I want the TARDIS to feel a little less like a single room and more like, you know, a, a home. The candles, the seal of Rassilon. Nice comfy chairs. Yeah, the lamp and... Yeah, but the, the the only thing that I think this movie gets right is that, you know, the the master, you know, I, I told you I jokingly call this, like, Doctor Who, the secret of the ooze, because of the master just being random Quicksilver ooze for no reason. And yeah, um, the thing about this movie is that they have spent so much expanded media trying to explain this movie into some sort of canon. Like, why is he a snake? Oh, it's because he ate an alien that's called a death worm, and his soul possessed the death worm after his original body was discard was dis- was exterminated by the chipmunk Daleks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop trying to make fetch happen. This movie makes no sense. Let's forget about it. But since we're talking about it, the only thing this movie really gets right, other than the TARDIS interior being really awesome, is that the doctor lands in what was then fairly modern day U.S. The future, 1999. Yeah. And he wanders out of the TARDIS and is immediately gunned down. <laughs> yep. And Every- I was like, yeah, no, that's that's par for the course. Every time the doctor comes to America, he gets shot at. Stop coming to America, doctor. See, I'm telling you, the, the less America in Doctor Who, the better. Freaking shot by Doc Holliday, shot by uh, Asian gangsters, shot by Secret Servicemen, shot by Steelworkers, shot by River. Yeah, it just, no, t- t- leave, leave it alone. Speaking of Doc Holliday, the outfit, uh, Wild Bill Hickok. It's. I feel like at some point this was planned to be a Halloween-themed movie. Because one of the plot points is that the hospital is hosting a costume party for New Year's Eve. And one of the one of the orderly says he's going to dress as Wild Bill Hickok. Which is where the Ace Doctor gets his outfit. Which, yeah, uh, it's it's really strange. Also, why is the fourth Doctor scarf just in somebody's locker? Reference. Just a random reference, I think. But the entire thing of 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 them not on of uh, our our companion for this movie, Doctor Grace Halloway. Doctor Grace Halloway, performed by Daphne Ashbrook, not knowing that the Doctor is not human. 
they say, oh, this man has two hearts and must be a double exposure. Just ignore it. And yeah, who ends up killing the seventh doctor? Is it the Daleks? Is it the Cybermen? Is it the Master? The Autons? The Yeti? The Zygons? No! Who kills the doctor? The American medical system! I mean, again, right, right on point. Uh, also, the other thing is that, like, Eric Roberts, his his character as the the EMT, Bruce, <laughs> when when he's like, "Hope your friend is rich, because where we're taking him, he's gonna have to be." And I was like, "Well, the uh, yep, that tracks." Yeah, w- once again, welcome to America, Doctor. As a attempt to introduce a new audience to the Doctor, they info dump so much in the in this movie that if I'm going to be honest, this is the first Doctor Who stuff I ever saw was this movie airing in 1996. So as a person who have vaguely heard the name Doctor Who, maybe. 1996, watching this movie because, oh, it's sci-fi, it's time travel. I like those things. And then you get this info dump of, it was on the planet Scarlet that my old enemy, the Master, was assassinated. It was exterminated by the Daleks, and we're going home to Gallifrey, and, and uh, I'm in my seventh life. It's like, Tardis. Time and relative time and relative dimension in space. T A T A R D I S. It's my the doc. You know, like all that entire those two info dump scenes. If you had never heard of Doctor Who before, that is not a good way to introduce Doctor Who to a new fan. It is just not. Yeah, I I absolutely agree, because I was I was watching this and you know. When when I first saw this, it wasn't my first introduction to Doctor Who, mind you. But when I first saw this, I was less acquainted with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very confused by it. And now that I know quite a lot about Doctor Who, I'm re-watching it as a, a much more knowledgeable fan. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, this still confuses the hell out of me, and I know what they're talking about. So Vester McCoy would later go on to say that he regrets coming back for this movie to do the regeneration, because imagine watching this movie, getting that info dump, and then half an hour into this movie, the main character dies and then changes faces. If they had started the movie with Paul McGann and then kind of slowly expa- explain what was going on, maybe it would have been a smoother explanation for someone who had never heard of the show before. I have no idea about that, but it's just. As it is, it's just. You. <laughs> You end up knowing less about this movie than freak than Grace does in this movie. I understand that the companion is supposed to be the audience surrogate, 
but we're not supposed to be more confused than the audience surrogate. Yeah. Agreed. So what is this plan? What is the master's plan? His plan, his uh, as we explained, he's already used up all of his lives. He's stolen a couple of different bodies. The body we see destroyed at the beginning of the movie may or may not be the Anthony Ainley body. He's wearing Anthony Ainley's costume. Your guess is as good as mine. But that's clearly not Anthony Ainley playing him. Yeah, true. So anyway, he wants the doctor's regeneration. He wants the doctor's body so he can continue on living. He convinces this little potentially homeless gangster kid, Chang, that he's actually the good guy and the doctor is the bad guy. Not, uh, not, uh, not, um, not unlike the master in other incarnations of Doctor Who, but it's, you know, it's just weird. And then just pays him off with two bags of gold dust. Not even gold coins, gold dust. Yeah, that was really bizarre. This also becomes the first instance of the Eye of Harmony being on the TARDIS. Something that would extend into uh, the Revival series. Because in the original series, the Eye of Harmony was always just on Gallifrey. So the point is to get the Eye of Harmony, steal steal the Doctor's body and steal the Doctor's lives. But also because the Eye of Harmony is being opened on Earth, it's screwing up the Earth. And if it stays open for too long, it's going to absorb the Earth into the Eye of Harmony. And it's just... Uh, Generally bad stuff. A lot of technobabble. Which is not unheard of in science fiction and definitely not not unheard of in Doctor Who. Could have used a couple of reverse the polarity of the neutron flows in here. But that's kind of how they win, honestly. Because you have the Doctor all strapped in because the, the Master has hypnotized Grace. Once Grace gets snaps out of her out of her hypnosis, she's able to because they talk about it earlier to basically hotwire the TARDIS. How is Grace able to know how to hotwire a TARDIS? I don't know. She just it's starts not important. She just starts pulling wires and crossing them, and somehow it's able to to kickstart the TARDIS to get into the time vortex. Which saves Earth from being sucked into into the Eye of Harmony. And then the, he's able to... She able to free the Doctor, and then... Chang dies, Grace dies. And then we get to the Doctor in their big battle with the, with the Master when the Master gets sucked into the Eye of Harmony. Don't worry, he'll be fine. He comes which, back. Which gives the TARDIS indigestion, apparently. I mean, the, dart, the TARDIS is a, living, is a living being, so I assume that it ate something that didn't agree with her, so who knows. But yeah, the... The, the thing is, is that I, I think that the reason Grace can, you know, futz around with the TARDIS is that apparently the TARDIS likes Grace, because apparently that's how... 
the other dude is able to open the Eye of Harmony. Because the Master says he can't open it because the TARDIS doesn't like him, so he makes the Patsy dude do it. Yeah, it's weird because apparently you need human eyes to open the Eye of Harmony, which makes no sense. But the daughter's half human suddenly for no reason that is ever explained. It makes sense if you if it's just like the one off joke. I'm half human on my mother's side. You can say that the doctor is screwing with people. But the fact that the master looks at a scan of the doctor's eye and see, oh, those are human eyes. He's half human. Why is the doctor half human? I don't know. It's a leftover from the original script that we just talked about. Maybe they felt that having an alien as the main character of the show wouldn't um, wouldn't appease to an American audience because he's not human, which is kind of dumb. Maybe they wanted to have a more Spock kind of relationship because Spock's half human and his big dilemma is is handling this human half and his and this Vulcan half. So they maybe they thought they were going to try a ha- a human half, Time Lord half story with the Doctor. But that's all ignored in future stories. We just forget about it. It's never mentioned again. Much like I'm pretty sure we're, we'll, we won't be hearing about any timeless children anytime soon. Well, let's hope not. There's potential in here. There's real potential in this movie. It's just every bad decision they made with this movie. I mean, any decision, they end up going with the bad option and everything they did with this movie. It, now, see, here's where here's where we're gonna we're gonna disagree. Mm-hmm. I do not think there was ever potential with this movie. I think the only potential here was Paul McGann. I think Paul McGann could have made a good doctor. I think um, that has been proven when he, you know, has shown up in his other, you know, quick guest appearances and in the audio dramas. Um, I think he's a good actor. I think he would have been able to do better had he had better to work with. But I do not think this movie was salvageable. Who would you have gone with if not the master in this in this movie? Oh, I don't I don't think the the master in theory, was the problem. If you if you want to have a Doctor Master story, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. My problem is you cast an American Master, and my problem is that you've thrown out a lot of stuff that makes Doctor Who what it is, you know? 
it's suddenly like, oh, the master is like an ooze snake that takes over human bodies and has glowy eyes and like, you know, like that's that's not the the master, you know, mm-hmm. like if you wanted to do a soft reboot, do a soft reboot. You know, like mm-hmm. kind of in the new series, it was like, oh, the doctor only has X number of regeneration. No, he doesn't. Not anymore. Why? Uh, we're not going to talk about that right now. And, you know, yeah, the fandom was a little confused, but, you know, we got more Doctor Who, so we were kind of mostly OK with it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and. You could just kind of be like, yeah, it's kind of a soft reboot um, for uh, a, an American audience. Hey, Brits, you want more Doctor Who? Shut up and go with it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not saying that's my preferred thing, but if you're going to do it, maybe do it that way. Yeah, maybe. I think that if we had started with Paul McGann and maybe, uh, I don't know. I feel like if we did like a flashback of the regeneration, if this had gone the series, we could have done a flashback episode where like an old enemy of the doctors has returned. It could be any enemy you want. We get a flashback that that enemy was the one that killed the seventh doctor and turned him in, that he had him regenerate into the eighth. And now they've encountered each other again. But uh, I mean, even at the end here, just one more note before we really get going, uh, you know, move on, is that we get the big happy ending because our the master's companion and the doctor's companion have both died. We're in a time machine. We can't have that. So the TARDIS turns back time and makes them alive again. Yay. Yay, happy ending. And also, this had a lot of pushback because the doctor kisses a woman yeah for no real reason we've talked about this we've mentioned this in passing but yeah there is a large at at least at this point there was a large set of the doctor who fandom who didn't like the idea of the doctor being romantic. They wanted their asexual doctor who didn't find anyone attractive, who just was like, you know, you're a good looking woman, probably. I don't know, but I I assume that you are because people say that you are. But here we have a doctor that's just snogging on the companion. He'll keep doing that again and again in the new series. But, I mean, there's a lot of the blueprint of what future Doctor Who would be, especially with a more romantic Doctor in in Paul McGann here. But uh, just the happy ending, you know, the, 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 the companions are alive again. It's it's New Year's Eve. It's everybody's happy. And, you know, come travel with me, Grace. No, no, you stay with me. And they have that. I can't do either of those things. You can't come with me. I can't come with you. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna say our goodbyes. 
Honestly, I kind of like that she doesn't run away in TARDIS with him. Yeah, she's she's one of the first companions to ever say no. All of time and space, the ability to go anywhere and any when, and she says no. Because she has a life. She's a doctor. Granted, she just got fired from the hospital for trying to be ethical. And half her stuff is no longer in her house because her boyfriend broke up with her because, you know, she was on call and left their date to go to the hospital because a man was dying. Jerk. Yeah, what a selfish woman. I get what they were trying to do with with, with Grace. They, They tried to have the more capable rather than the screaming damsel in distress type of companion they wanted her to be a little more headstrong the fact that she is a doctor and is on some level able to kind of understand some of what the doctor is saying she seems to get the dimensional transcendental nature of the tardis like we go through the small box and now we're in the big room and she kind of understands oh yeah we went through a dimensional gateway I liked it better when they say it was big around the inside. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a there was potential with Grace as a, as, as a character. Uh, Chang as a kind of an everyman, teenage-ish character, maybe. Uh, he's no ace, though. The idea he starts off as a, as a criminal, kind of, and then kind of falls into this... The, falls into the villain's clutches as, as his patsy and everything. And there was something there. Like I said, there's, there are things here that could have been really good, but they tried to put everything into this one movie and it just doesn't work. Especially. I forgot to talk about this, but I want to talk about this right now. The thing that doesn't work the most about this movie, Paul McGann's wig. <laughs> because if you ever see the audition of Paul McGann, and it's out there, Paul McGann has this long flowing hair. And that's particularly why Siegel wanted to go for him, because he liked that look and thought that was a good look for the doctor. When Paul McGann arrives in, in Toronto to film the movie, he has a buzz cut because he had just got done filming a movie where he was playing a soldier. So he needed the military haircut. And he tried to convince, hey, you know, this can work. I could be the first doctor with a buzz cut. But Siegel says, no, he, you know, he really wanted that long flowing hair look. And they commissioned this quickie wig that looks horrible, just horrible on Mr. McGann here. We would get a doctor with a buzz cut. We'll talk about him next time. I don't know. I like that. I, I I saw I saw that original audition with McGann and I, and I get what they were seeing in, in that long hair. I just wish they had a better wig for him. Yeah. This movie did not do well. It did well in on the BBC. Did great. Just one problem: the BBC was not the only one uh, invested in this movie because you had Universal and Fox involved with this movie as well. And the ratings did not do well on Fox because they decided to air this movie 
against one of the most popular TV shows of the 90s, Roseanne. Specifically, it was the Dan Gets a Heart Attack episode. Airing a TV movie of a week based off a largely unknown property to your American audience, starring a largely unknown actor against the most popular TV show in America. It, it was a mercy death. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, good for Dan that he outlived Roseanne, though. <laughs> it would be a few years, but yeah, they would bring Paul McGann back to do the audio dramas, which I I, I do recommend them. They're really good, and they like... Like the audio dramas did with Colin Baker's Doctor, they completely saved this Doctor. It's just a complete rejuvenation of this character. And it shows what this Doctor could have been with competent writers, with with writers that understood Doctor Who and understood what they wanted this to be. The big shock came... When we fast forward to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, because they released a five minute video that was supposed to set up the events of the upcoming 50th anniversary. And lo and behold, who comes back? It's Paul McCann as the eighth doctor in the in the special video, The Night of the Doctor. And when I saw that, it was like, oh, well, they did not bring Paul McGann back. Oh, God, they did. <laughs> and he has his actual hair in this one. The interesting thing about it is that nobody saw that coming. And we only had like, what was it, like 10 minutes or something warning on Twitter that there was going to be like, a, hey, there's going to be a special thing dropping. And then they aired it, and it was like, Paul McGann. And we were like, what? Yeah, and it's like, here's Paul. You know, we get, it's it's set in the time where we have this uh, character, Cass, who was crashing her plane. Do you need medical assistance? No, I don't need a doctor. I'm a doctor, but not the one you're expecting. And I love that line. It's just Paul McGann leading on the wall. (laughs) I'm a doctor, but not the one you were expecting. Which, I mean, accurate, because we were not expecting him. (laughs) Yep. And I love that this is set in the time war, right at the beginning of the time war, where so many people are getting hurt. So many people are feeling the effects of the time war between the Daleks and and, and the Time Lords, to the point where people are no longer trusting the Time Lords. You're a Time Lord. You're one of them. Go back to your war. Leave, Leave us alone. You've do you know how many people you've killed? I'm not part of the war. Yeah, you're still a time lord. I don't trust you. Would you? If you're a space traveler, there's a war going on between these two alien factions that so many planets are being affected by. That time is constantly being rewritten around this war. Planets are appearing and disappearing at random. Entire civilizations. You yourself could cease to exist because of one of the battles of the Time War. Would you trust the Time Lords or the Daleks? Are are both sides 
the bad guys in that situation. I don't know. Well, to be honest, I mean, we've kind of touched on this before, but the Time Lords are kind of douchebags anyway. True. Except for the Doctor, who's less of a douchebag than most Time Lords. But he's still a Time Lord, so he's guilty by association, unfortunately. Well, no, I'm not. I mean, she doesn't know who she's talking to. All she knows is it's Time Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying that, like, in the context of the show, the Doctor is maybe the least problematic of the Time Lords that we've seen. It's not saying much, because he still has his, has his uh, douchebag moments. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying that, like, comparatively, he's the least problematic, but still problematic. Yeah. So, yeah, and they ultimately crash because Cass refuses to go with the doctor. And then we get to that big moment where the doctor has to decide who he wants to be. And he ultimately decides the universe doesn't need a doctor anymore. Make me a warrior because he's actually going into the time war now because he stood by the sidelines for so long and so many people get hurt. He can't stand by anymore. And I love this moment, and I, because I've mentioned the audios, this makes the audios canon, at least the Ace Doctor ones, because he lifts that chalice up and he says the names of several of his companions from the audio dramas, Charlie, Karis, Lucy, Tamsin, Molly. Charlotte, Charlotte Pollard, Karis, Lucy Miller, Tamsin Drew, Molly O'Sullivan. So he drinks it, and then he transforms into... Young John Hurt, circa 1979, which kind of shows you how long he's been fighting in the Time War. As he's aged from 1979 John Hurt to 2012 John Hurt. Yeah, that was a a bit of a shocker because we also weren't expecting young John Hurt. Yeah, I was expecting him to just be old John Hurt. But they went, they dug into the BBC archives and found some uh, younger pictures of John Hurt when he was doing some miniseries for the BBC back in the 70s. And they just used that picture. And they still use that picture to this day when referring to uh, the young war doctor. Kind of making this movie canon, because there was a long time where people disregarded this movie, that this movie was not canon. Or they didn't want to accept this movie as canon. That would be the more accurate term. I mean, I don't really blame them. Neither do I, but, uh, you know, like, like it is for all its faults, and there are many. Like I said, there's the TARDIS interior, great. Paul McGann, great. I even like the theme song that they use, the version of the theme song that they use for this movie. All right, so that's that is the Doctor Who... TV movie didn't really go anywhere, didn't go to a series. And to this day, I'm sad that we never got a proper Paul McGann TV series. Like to this day, like like there's been talks of Doctor Who spinoffs for like Disney Plus or whatever. Like give Paul McGann a spinoff. Doesn't have to be a full series. Give me four to six episodes of Paul McGann in the early days of the Time War or something. And I'm happy. Give me that. 
I love the audio adventures, but I would like to have some visual episodes of Paul McGann as a doctor. Please and thank you. It's never going to happen, but I, I, I kind of do want it. Yeah, it would it would be nice. Yeah. So uh, let's move on. Kiki, we're going to get out of the TARDIS for now. Next month, we will be going into the Revival series, the new series, the new Doctor Who with the ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston. But that's going to wait till next month. Next week... Yeah, there's that new show coming out. So uh, next week, Kiki, it is time to go back into Star Wars, The Clone Wars, as we finally take a look at the life and times of Ahsoka Tano. Gee, I wonder why we're going to start talking about Ahsoka Tano now. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. No reason. Just because it's time to talk about the character, I guess. Yeah. So... So come back next week as we talk about all things Ahsoka, as we go back to Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on X at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.